Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Nana Sangmua, who's the CEO of Roscan Gold, TSXV Explorer Developer in Mali. Mali has experienced a military coup last week, and we talk about the implications and ramifications for doing business in country, what it means for the country as a whole, uh, and how uh, Roscan is able to continue to deliver against its business plan. We talk to him at length about the strategies that they're employing, the relationships that they've got, and what the next 12 months looks like with their drill programs seemingly unaffected. Uh, it's exciting times, so sit back and enjoy what they have to say. Nana, how are you doing, sir? Very well, thank you. And yourself? You're not too bad, thanks, Nana. Yeah, we're, we're coping here. Where in the world are you? Uh, Toronto at the moment. Um, working remotely, but I should be working my way to site sometime in September very shortly. Fantastic, fantastic. And you're going to tell us uh, a little bit about the, pro- the project and what you're up to there, but we've kind of, we're getting an exclusive here. You're going to give us an update on what's going on in Mali. Give us that kind of macro overview because obviously there's a military transition. There's a military coup about a week ago and they've been in discussion with the uh, economic community of West African states to work out some kind of peaceful resolution. So what's the latest news? Well, I think basically, um, I'm, I think it's going well. The transition discussions are ongoing. I was just informed by my country manager that uh, the military uh, leader just refuted the um, uh, sessions in the marketplace that he's looking for a three-year mandated rule for transition so that has been refuted by him and he's gone back to uh, his initial mantra by saying that the transitional process is going to be dictated by the Malian people in consultation with the military and the ECOWAS body so it's going to be a much more consultative process rather than a dictatorial process coming from the military. So I think this transition has had a lot of support from the Malian people, has been very peaceful. And if it stays that way, I think it's ushering in a very good future for the country where we'll actually see a much more solid transition to a long lasting democratic process. The reason I want to cover this is because there are people looking from outside of Africa who are not used to investing in Africa or doing business in Africa will look at this and be slightly nervous. And, you know, the impact on your share price in the last week, I think, is reflective of that. So I want them to understand what is going on and what it means. So, like, you know, if I was just doing better research for this, 37 out of the 54 states of Africa have had some kind of military rules, some military junta um in, in, in place over the past few years, you know, if I look at Nigeria, they've had eight different military uh, periods. Um, this is not uncommon. And even from Mali, this is the third time this has happened, the most recent being 2012. Um, but it's usually perceived as for and on behalf of the people to remove governments which are perhaps not working in a, in a democratic way. Um, certainly that's where it's positioned. It doesn't necessarily always work out like that. I think it's, you know, military leaders sometimes become civilian leaders in 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 name, but not necessarily, uh, you know, that's not necessarily the case. So what are your hopes for the way that this 
negotiation is carried out. You know, three-year transition, okay, it may not happen. It's going to be done in consultation with the Malian people. What do you think that actually means in reality? Well, I think um, what that actually signals is um, we, it's not a system where you see in other places where a military junta comes in and it's their way and they dictate the pace and they keep siphoning the country's resources forever and actually throws the state into further destabilization. I personally have lived through this in Ghana as a young kid where we had military transitions come through and that are shedding the perfect, uh, the best democratic rule in Africa for now. That's through the uh, flight left and Jerry John Rollins days. And it was also a popular uprising. And initially there were some talks and opposition from the West, but eventually the transition occurred and we have one of the best stable democracies that can be boasted of in Africa to date. I think these people are working their way towards that direction. I think it's going to be really uh, silly for them to think they can usurp power and do whatever they want in Mali, given the fact that Mali is a landlocked country and nothing is produced there, and they depend a lot on exports, so their borders are sensitive, and ECOWAS has controls of these borders, and they can put the screws on them to get them to do whatever is right for the people. But now it appears the people want this change, they want a transition, and the military has been used as a medium to get that process in place. And what were they getting rid of? Is this is this about corruption? Is this about... I mean, well, you tell us, what what, what is the reason? Well, there's a multiple of uh, issues. I think uh, corruption is high on the agenda there, and uh, government officials have been noted for lining their pockets and not looking at the interest of uh, the common Joe Blow on the street. Uh, Social economic hardships being quite intense, and people have not seen a lot of progress. And um, they have also not seen a lot of seriousness from the government to deal with the jihadist movements. And uh, it's not been that clear. There's been a sort of dependence on the French and other foreign governments to help on that regard. So it's, it's sort of a change that the people want. They try to do it themselves. Um, it was tougher for them to do. And the military has added their voice. And I would say it's probably one of the most popular military uprisings I've seen uh, for a while now. And I think the military guys are also being very smart. And so far, they've not flouted any uh, rules. Everybody has been kept safe until the ex-president is going to be allowed to depart the country. There's no bloodshed. So it's pointing more towards a consultative framework to transition Mali to the next place. And you've got good luck, Jonathan, sitting on uh, ECOWAS's side. I mean, that's some irony in that. I mean, so Nigeria has been, I think, one of the <laughs> most prolific military, uh, uh, dict- well, dictatorships, I think, is probably a strong word, but certainly rule um, of the past few years. Uh, so he's got the experience. Um, but again, you know, th- they've closed the borders down. They are, I think the phrase is, halting financial flows in and out of the country. So they're taking quite a tough stance uh, early on in these conversations. Um, what do you hope is the outcome of that conversation? What would you like the outcome as a businessman? Well, 
Well, I think um, the tough stance is probably to signal to the military government that ECOWAS is not going to accept any gains here and come up with a timetable and let's stick with it, which oftentimes become the issue with some of these interventionist government. They come promising we're going to do X and you see it slipping along the way at times. So once ECOWAS uh, shows its hand and uh, communicates their seriousness in transitioning every country in the block into democratic rule, I think they'll have that at the back of their mind that no games should be played here and whatever transitional uh, timetables that they agree to with ECOWAS, I have utmost confidence that they're going to stick with it. And are they going to deal with the issue of the terrorist infractions which have been going on? Because that's going to make the West very nervous. This could be an opportunity for other interested parties to insert themselves. So again, is that part of the conversation? Well, I think that's actually what's probably driving the agency of these discussions because the last thing the West echoes and all of us here is to have a failed state because that is just fodder for things that we don't want further down the line. So it's a very intricate process so far. I'm very happy from what I read. The French is still well immersed in the country and still taking their military commitments seriously. So I don't think a vacuum has been created for these guys to take advantage of. But clearly, if you don't have a proper transitional negotiation process or a timetable put down, then people might sort of take advantage of that. So the key is to see what the outcome of these negotiations are. And I think it's going to be a workable solution for all parties. I I, I think that's right. I think it'd be nice if ECOWAS could resolve this themselves rather than have intervention from the West, you know, in terms of people poking their nose where it's not necessarily wanted uh, or or liked, appreciated. Um, Okay, so let's see where that goes. Just in terms of some of the terrorist terrorist activity that has been going on uh, in parts of Mali, has that affected uh, mining companies' ability to do business? I would say virtually we've not had any impact at all because the terrorist activities are concentrated way to the north in a part of Mali, northern Mali, that wanted to secede. And before you even get to the center part of Mali, there's a big military barracks, which has a lot of French installations. So it prevents any widespread movement from the north coming down south. And if you come to where the mines are located southwest, you're talking close to about 700, 800 kilometers from the hotspot. So it's been sort of really calm business as usual, but I think every mining company has also, including ourselves, has also put down good security measures to keep the workers safe in and out of their camps, into the capital and wherever they, um, they live in the country. Okay, but you, you keep, you're monitoring that situation because it's not just the north. There have been, you know, isolated instances throughout the country. Um, so, but that's a situation you continue to monitor. Yeah, totally. We, we got uh, uh, security personnel who's highly um, experienced um, on our roster 
that watches out for all the developments and sounds any cautions if necessary, but there's been no need for any alarmist evacuation Beautiful. Moves, uh, so far. Beautiful. Yeah. I'm just going to say for our viewers, for once, that's not my dog barking. That's yours, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It makes a change. And I apologize for that. No, don't. I thought I don't. was hiding away from him. Don't, but. don't. Yeah, I, my viewers know that it's usually my dog, or one of them. Um, well, look, okay, um, look, Nana, thanks for that. Um, let's let's get on to the project, okay? I want to understand this because, you know, you've, you've seen a bit of movement recently. Well, you know, apart from, obviously, the issues of the last week, you, you've seen the the company starting to get uh, notice and you and that's for a reason. So let's let's talk with, let's talk about that. I want to understand the plan. What's the business plan? What is it that I as an investor am buying into here? So you've set out to do what and where are you currently with that plan? Right. So what we set up to do is to pick up one of the prime exploration real estates that I've seen in Africa, plugged into the shadows of a lot of uh, significant operating mines and projects. And we've identified quite a number of targets there. And we want to make as many discoveries we have, we can on this real estate. That's going to drive our valuation um, and give significant returns to shareholders. In so doing, we've attracted attention of a few other players in the industry that have expressed serious interest to follow what we're doing, even to the point of having CAs on us. So obviously, if it's successful, they would potentially want to make dip yet to in. I don't know how the transaction is going to play out, but we're not running the business to wait on what they do. We are running the business to add value through the drill bit, make as many discoveries as possible as we can, so that if that should happen, it actually happens at a much higher price. And um, basically the alternative here is the team we've assembled together with the likes of Sesame Jonah that's been able to build a lot of junior mining companies into much significant entities. As we get our valuation re-rating going with the discovery of more deposits in this prolific land package, we get the currency to do some interesting things that could be value add to shareholders as well. So I think it's a very unique junior company where um, we would not just be at the mercy of finding stuff and twiddling our thumbs and waiting for people to dictate the pace for us. Once we get to a point where we think we have something that could be very accredited, we would also pull the trigger and go for it. Okay, so tell me this. So how much money have you raised to date? Um, that's, I mean, totally a thing. we north of 15 million to 20 million in treasury based on um, sort of straight equity issues and warrants that are deeply in the money that's coming through. Um, so that's been very humbling because that signaled a lot of support from our shareholders that has confidence in the team and what they can execute. So we really well funded to execute our campaign that we have 
in front of us and um, essentially uh, we expect another 10 million to come in on from the warrants in March and next December. Right, but how much have you raised in total since this since this began? Since the, since I, I mean, basically I would say from before my time, you might have another, um, what do you call it, um, 10 million or so that's been, been dropped into this. Okay, okay. And so that... You're an explorer developer. Is that is that what I'm? Is that what I should read into this? You are guys that are discovering value through the troll bit, um, but you're explorer developers. You're not you're not mind builders, and you're looking out for someone to step in either as a partner, JV, or take you out. Is that is that the story? Um, I have a stage we an explorer, um, and basically we're doing the work uh, that would get us into a developer status very quickly because. We've just made one major discovery that we are expanding out of about 11 targets to go. And we actively drill in those targets as well. And we should have uh, a backlog of news coming through uh, in the fall. Um, so essentially, we would classify ourselves as an explorer developer at this stage. Uh, and I would highlight the fact that we have the ability based on the team we've assembled to transition ourselves into whatever adds more value to uh, the company. Okay, so tell me about the team. So who's done this before? Who's made money for shareholders? Um, I mean, basically, um, you can appoint to our chairman, Sam Jonah. Um, he started with Anglo Gold Ashanti, a boss in mine, and transitioned it into a 10 mine conglomerate out of Staff, I mean, out of Africa in general, listed it on the New York Stock Exchange, made quite a number of people money during that process. Um, <clears throat> he moved on to uh, be with, uh, I think, Equinox as well and help them up the value chain as well and help people make money in that process and was associated with Moto, which is now the Kibali mine that also made investors money. So... I think that's a very good figure to have as a head here. And um, the other groups that are associated with the company that have added value to shareholders in various aspects of the they, but, but Sam, but, So Sam is busy. I've met him in London. Um, I know he's, he, he's involved in a lot of things. He's a busy guy, but so he's not involved on a day-to-day basis. So who are the guys on the day-to-day who are going to make you and make shareholders money? Um, actually, basically, I, I think that is not uh, accurate. I've said Sam is virtually much involved in Roscan. He, uh, I think for his uh, company our size, we have weekly board meetings, which he drives the, the, the process home. And um, he's as involved in every single decision that we make. At times, I have more calls from him in the day than I do from my wife, depending <laughs> on what we are discussing. So I think um, he's not just, it's not a name rental out there. And uh, he, see, he saw the opportunity uh, to be involved with this. And he came to site the very next day of his appointment as chairman. And he walked all the priority targets that we are currently drilling with us. And he was very excited about uh, this ground and actually part of this ground was formerly owned by Ashanti, his uh, initial company that did, 
some of the historical geochemical analysis on the ground. That is good to hear. So he likes something about this. Um, coming back to those border closures and indeed COVID, how, is, how are those things uh, restricting your ability to do business? For instance, do you need to move uh, you know, samples across border or can you manage everything in country? Well, I mean, initially, we uh, quickly um, put up the COVID protocols just to help the site become COVID-proof once it hit. And we actually made a donation to the community that we operated in. I think we're the first mining company to uh, give some PPEs to uh, that town, and the mayor was ecstatic about it. And so far, knock on wood, we've had no COVID-related issues on site, and we've not lost a single day of drilling. Actually, we actually executing one of the most aggressive drill campaigns in the company's history through the rainy season, with about four rigs running right now, and we just added a fifth rig. So it's been busy through this period, and we've not had any interruptions on that front. The part that has been a little bit of a challenge is some of our samples have to be sent from Bamako to Abidjan and then back to Bamako. So the cross-border gets some delays in the mix and we went to about 27 days, 10 around, up from about 10, 11, which was the norm. So that was an issue that impacted our cycle of news flow but um, the borders are being open in most of West Africa. Um, The military junta has opened the borders right now so I'm told that flights can get in. Um, Goods and services have not so far been impacted and we still get some samples from our labs. One of our main labs has now full functionality in Bamako and can process everything internally. So going forward, we don't foresee a lot of disruptions in that regard to our sample and our results coming through. Okay, so you've got a bunch of cash right now. You've got four drills uh, going, even even in the in, in the rainy season, the wet season, which is remarkable. Yeah. And you're looking at a, at a fist. How are you managing to do that? Just technically, how does that work? Well, I mean, basically, we planned hard for it. We knew that we need a lot of uh, good skilled labor to man these rigs. And so we've consistently added to our team. And the Malians are very skilled at this. We actually run this company for six months remotely. And they've delivered to the T and attracted bonuses for doing exactly what we expected them to do. So it's a very skilled team that we've got down there. And the technical team, with the addition of David Redden and um, Greg Eisner, have also not kept the eyes off the ball. So we have periodic, I mean, we receive daily locks of drilling and we know every day what each drill is doing wherever on the project. And it's so flat a structure that anybody on the technical team can chime in if they want us to keep going. They want it to stop. It's up to debate very quickly. So it's more hands-on there. And um, essentially, we also basically make sure that we uh, delegate a lot of responsibility to them. They're free to take the actions they deem fit. 
and we explain it gets explained to us in our weekly calls which have now been increased to two weekly technical sessions so there's lots of eyeballs on this and um, we're excited about what we've seen we're excited about the new targets we are drilling and we hoping because i think the current valuation of this company um, is just reflective of one discovery and we're working hard to change that okay, so very you, quickly. So you were, talk, you were talking um, earlier in the year, in, in June, sorry, I guess a couple of months ago, everything feels longer these days, Nana, everything. Um, so yeah. you, you're talking about expanding the drill program up to 45,000 meters. So talk to me about some of the numbers, okay, because you've had some good hits. What, what are you seeing uh, and like, what do you know about um, the drill program in terms of the way that you're planning it out over the next 12 months? Well, I mean, like I said, we got um, aside Southern Mankuki, which the market knows very well. We've got some interesting hits, or we started actually with a very interesting hits from uh, the central Mankuki zone. So the whole Mankuki is an eight kilometer mineralized corridor. And I'm not suggesting that the whole eight kilometers is all mineralized, but we think there are some jewels in there. So we're doing a lot of work in that corridor and we got drills 10 in there. We got work also ongoing in another permit, which is actually our larger permit that has a bit of artisanal activity in there, Niala, which we waiting to see uh, results, but quite a bit of drilling has been completed on that as well. We got um, the ground that we uh, acquired from Comet, which we thought was a very strategic acquisition because it gave us more ground on a structural corridor up to 20 kilometers, very close to the targets that Oklo is working on. And that's, you could even see potential extension of some of their targets into that ground. And we've got rigs turning on these targets as well. Tell me, so tell me more about this one. Been, this, that's interesting. Tell me more about this. So you're, so tell me about the Comet deal. What was the thinking behind this? What, what were you hoping to achieve? Well, I mean, basically, we're constantly looking at ways to expand our footprint. And the more um, land that you can accumulate, the better. And we had done a back, I mean, a, a desktop study with our technical team that had established a structural corridor train that runs from Cerebaya, which has about close to 400,000 ounces at two grams, delineated already, running through our southern Mankuki into central Mankuki, running through Candioli and further going up. And the most extreme portion, we already had a, 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 perm a permit which we had drilled, which gave some interesting numbers, about 35 grams over two meters that warranted follow-up. So we quickly knew the importance of that corridor and our due diligence on basically the work that had been done on the zone that had already drilled and delineated as a resource made us aware that this was extremely shallow drilling, that's 60 meter vertical depth, and there were a few uh, I mean, trench, high-grade trench results that were not followed up. Very promising AC results, like eight grams over 14 meters that were never followed up. So the opportunity to grow the existing resource, which was actually calculated at 1350 gold price, was high. And then further doing our Google S due diligence, we actually saw that 
essentially the artisanal activity had expanded the footprint that was there. So we know for a fact that we on to something there and it looks like some of the deep structures on the Oakland ground is coming into that. And um, it's an interesting and exciting times, I would say. But that begs the question, why, why, did, why, why, we will stay tuned, um, but why didn't Oclo step in? They had some data as well. I think I think that would be a, be a question better suited for them, but it's like in a competitive uh, region, so we saw the opportunity and we jumped in as quickly as possible for it. Okay, so you're expanding the footprint. You knew a little bit about the data, so you thought you'd capture that. I and mean, how much money have you spent on that so far? On the acquisition? The acquisition and obviously any, any drilling that you've done subsequently. Well, I mean, the acquisition was less than, I think, uh, 3.2, around $3.2 million. So not a whole lot. And with ounces on, we got it for $16 an ounce in ground, which was um, very accredited. And um, we're going to be putting some good number of holes on right now. Actually, the drills are mobilized on it. So uh, it's part of our broader expanded regional activity. Okay. And we should have quite a number of meters put in that target. Okay, so tell me, so what's the order of play? How does the money get spent? When does that take you through to, and what do you want at the end of that period? What looks good? Well, I mean, I, I think basically um, the, the amount of money we have uh, possibly gives us run room till March, where we have our next tranche of warrants uh, coming through, which is another 5 million bucks. And then uh, we have another top up in December. So from what we've cited ourselves to do here, it's pretty much funded from the current resources that we have. And um, we are on top of that have uh, initiated an uh, helicopter airborne survey, which should give us even more targets, deeper seated targets. So we're doing a lot of AC on anomalies right now, and we're putting it all together. And the deep geophysics is going to really connect the dots much succinctly for us and refine some of these targets that we're working on. So our, our hope is to basically have a good sense of uh, where we should be devoting a lot of our strengths. And the goal is to have about two, three solid targets that has a lot of legs for them to run and move us into the resource delineation phase uh, sometime in the second half next year. Okay, so tell me about the significance of fresh rock, it's certainly in relation to you know some of the some of the other deposits, like, you know, Ficola, Seco, etc. Yeah, I mean, basically, I think uh, the significance of fresh rock uh, clearly uh, establishes the root sources of the mineralization, because as you see on our regional map you see that, that nobody can lie to you that there's no gold there. There's definitely a lot of gold all over the place. The question is how you connect them together and is there feed source or is this transported? And those are the questions that the street has. And we work in with our current drill program to address and answer those. Uh, we're very confident because we've had some very good hits in the fresh rock already. And it answered the question that this is not super gene and we continue to do a lot more deeper drilling to establish the dimensions of this feed source area. So it's 
got to uh, continue to focus on the fresh, but I also would establish the economic importance of the oxides as well, because the oxide profiles are usually uh, straightforward metallurgy, um, easy strip ratios, low mining costs. So you're pretty much printing money in this environment and the appeal of some of the oxide uh, material to some of our sister projects are around us would be quite significant because if you blend some of the extensive oxide profiles here, particularly at the grades we are getting them, it makes for a much more, I mean, you can enhance your throughput and production without uh, putting any extra capex in your plants. Yeah, for, for, for sure. Um, so tell me about how you're um, prioritizing targeting in relation to, again, it comes back to how you're spending your money in terms of AC, RC, diamond drill. I mean, how do you work? How do you plan that? Given the, what you're trying to achieve, what you just said. So, so basically, what we do first and foremost is to detect the anomalism. And if we have something of significance, 100 ppb anomalism, either by sols or by termites, that makes it something worth following up to see what is beneath them. So, our first uh, preference is to test these anomalism with AC just to see if there's roots beneath them. And that's exactly what we did at Southern Mankuki. Uh, we saw the wide section, we tested with AC, it looked to connect, and then we followed up with RC and DD to establish the depth extent, and we continue to do that. So that's a, method, uh, a methodical approach that we use across board. And um, it's good that way because the AC drilling is quick and not too expensive, and it can get us through a lot of these targets and establish the ones that we have to follow aggressively and some that needs to be discarded. But I think there's a third layer to that process. That's why we're doing the uh, geophysics, and that is sort of a deep uh, geophysical uh, technique where we can actually size targets as deep as 300 meters. Some of these will be lost to certain termite profiles. And uh, once that is completed in September, October timeframe, we will have all our targets rejected uh, by a consultant that uh, uh, the Barrick uses for their 3D target generation. And that gives us another layer. So. I think it's it's story is going to get more exciting and interesting because we are trying to apply all possible techniques available to find the 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 deposits if they are there, and we've got the team that can get us through that. You sound excited about the geology. Um, I want to talk about the market though. Up until June, no one really cared about your story. They weren't listening. Look at the share price. Look at what's been happening over the past two, three years, what what do you think they were missing or is it a case if you haven't delivered the grades yet? Well, I think basically the market couldn't appreciate the quality of the asset package that the founder, Greg Eisner, had put together. And this is not the first time he has done something like that. All that he's done has actually ended up as projects in the labs of major companies. And so we clearly devised a strategy to show the parallels and drill the holes and show that we've got the grade, we've got the width, 
that's comparable to some of our peers that were trading four times our valuation. And I think some people listened and that valuation has closed up. But I think it's still worth highlighting that uh, it's just been on one target that's been really well defined in the market. And um, hopefully, as we get more success on some of the other targets, uh, we would catch up with some of the uh, discount left and probably move the story to even another high premium because people will see that the execution of the exploration strategy is yielding some results. The, I was just looking at your shareholder registry. I mean, it's, it's, you've got about, four, well, between management and, and institutional, it's about 40% held um, that way. And the rest, I guess, is North American retail. And there's no kind of big, there's some big names in there, but no big holders in there. I mean, is that something you'd like to address, get a cornerstone in there? Or are you kind of happy with the, the trading at the moment? Well, I think we were happy to welcome some big names on the register in the last phase. And I think it's testament on people believing the potential there. I think actually that creates more opportunities here because there are a lot of people sizing and trying to figure out how this thing plays out. And we continue to success. I think we should be seeing a lot of these people jump in because it's a unique story. You got a discovery uh, story where you actually have the best returns in the mining equity cycle. And you also have an exit strategy with a lot of people um, looking in, in our kitchen, trying to um, be part of the story. So it's very compelling. And I think um, we've been talking to a lot of these potential cornerstone investors. Um, obviously, most of them were trying to figure out uh, the entry point where we needed money so that they could be part of the register. That's been a challenge because we virtually have funded our, our campaign right now, but who knows where, what the opportunities would be further down the line, but there's potential for these to come in on market transactions or in other forms as we evolve. Okay. I mean, you've raised more money in the last four, five months than you've raised in the entire history of the, the company. So are you, do you feel compelled to um, spend your money to keep the market excited? Or do you feel compelled to actually do things the right way in terms of the um, geologically, technically? Um, all the money is going to the ground. I think that's what that's the best marketing tool we have. The rocks will speak for us. And once we get more success on the ground, the rest becomes history. So um, I think that's a company's uh, management focus right now. So management has 11.8%. I mean, how much of that have you got? Well, I mean, basically, I'm um, up to about um, a million shares that I purchased personally uh, before coming on board. Um, I would love to purchase shares on weakness, but we always have to respect the blackout policies. Uh, we see this as a great opportunity uh, to add. And I got some exposure on what do you call it, uh, performance options and all that. So I'm clearly well aligned to shareholders and um, the success of Roscan is going to have a personal impact on me as well. So I take that very seriously. Nana, thank you very much. Great to hear that story for the first, first time we've spoken, first time we've met. Um, and it's great to hear your story.
new to our viewers as well. So appreciate that. Stay in touch, Lesnar, how you get on uh, with the drill bit, because I think, as you say, that's probably where, you know, I think people are going to get excited. And also, I do appreciate your update on what's happening in uh, Mali. It feels like you've got, you obviously have had a little bit of uh, African discount on a, as a whole uh, from North America, but obviously the recent incidents haven't helped. So I hope that resolves itself peacefully, as you say, uh, quite soon. Thank you. Great. Thanks for having me. I think it's been a very uh, fruitful discussion. And stay tuned to the milestones as we get through them. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.